You're listening to Geographical Thinking, where ideas, stories, and conversations are shared through the lens of geography. I'm your host, Guan Yu. Geography is one of the most ancient signs our ancestors developed to understand land, features, creatures, and our relationship with them. Despite extensive changing human activities, our identities remain profoundly connected with the land we came from. Our guest today is a researcher of indigenous culture who leveraged geospatial technology to explore the stories and narrative representation of indigenous community. Denali Youngwolf is a PhD student at the University of British Columbia. Her family is from Meskaukan First Nation. Her experiences growing up were lessons in how culture builds capacity, resilience, community, and kin. She extends the experiences in her PhD study by weaving together stories of indigenous successes and put them in geographical context. Welcome, Denali. It's a delight to have you on Geographical Thinking. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. First of all, let's start with your PhD study. You, um, you have a name for it in Cree language. Would you tell us what the project is and what do you do? So the project is Akamiyatamoy, which is rising or persevering, to continuing to grow and thrive and excel towards. So Akamiyatamoy. That's a very and beautiful name. So what's the project, um, what do you do in this project to celebrate the growing and continuous flourishing of the culture that you come from? Well, uh, it's about exploring agency. So survivance narratives. Um, One of the ways I'm doing that and celebrating that in this project is to be looking at a number of projects all across Turtle Island that collect stories of Indigenous inspiration role models, successes, heroes, Um, a bunch of projects that use different terms, um, but basically to get to the same thing, survivance narratives. And Mm -hmm. these projects, the stories that they're collecting and that I'm looking at are about how we as Indigenous people determine ourselves, how these narratives look at us. So they're self-determining. And one of the ways that that is, is that Um, how do we decide what is an inspiration, who to call a role model, a success, a hero, what to value? How do we decide that? Mm -hmm. And this is important because the dominant narratives, the Western narratives about Indigenous people have different values. And for a long time, the stories that they've told about us are stories of deficit, victimhood, disappearance. So in celebrating the stories that we tell, the self-determining stories, we're privileging our voices and our values. And because of this, I believe these stories are better able to speak to our needs and our goals as Indigenous peoples, communities, and nations. So what's the first step uh, when you're looking to start a project like this? What are some initial steps that you um, took to, to shape this project? Well, Initially, because I'm a PhD student, there are a lot of constraints that are beyond my control, such as you have to do coursework um, and you have to do a bunch of things that the university wants you to do. So that was the first step was getting those boxes checked, doing the things I needed to do there. And now the steps are, how do I get to frame the work that I want to do? 
and what I think is important and how do I get there. And the reason that I'm doing it in this way with ArcGIS is that I think for a couple of reasons, um, one is it gives us a way to apply a critical indigenous lens to, to narrative representation and survivance and self-determination to those theories. It's a way to challenge the power relations um, by showing materially the physical presence of indigenous people in powerful ways, not as victims, but as normal people living normal lives with jobs, families, aspirations. When you map people and the stories of people who are capable operating in normative ways, it gets a lot harder for the settler state to justify its control over us, to justify the Indian Act, or the idea that we are so victimized and so incapable of doing anything that we need state benevolence. So GIS and GIS modeling is really important because it allows us to show that presence. And it's an incredible tool for identifying patterns in the way that we conceptualize survivance stories. So I'm using it to look for common ontological underpinnings that speak to the nature of indigenous survivance across communities, across families, individuals, uh, specifically the differences between urban, rural, remote, and special, special access communities. How do we see differences in the way that we conceptualize survivance narratives, inspiration, heroes in these different environments? And being able to visually put that on a map tells you so much more than just a spreadsheet. Yeah. So the project that you work on, the, the story map, uh, specifically, that you put all of these stories that you uh, collected from different agencies and communities onto a map. So the first time when I look at it, what compels me is that not only I have a list of narratives to tell the success of each individuals and communities, but I also see all of these dots lighting up on a map across all Canada. And so, so that tells me, this, um, in addition to how many success stories there are, but there's also a great diversity. So in your stories, not only you feature, um, you know, success community initiatives, but people who are role models, who are from those communities. So can you share us what are the categories of the stories that you have collected? That I'm still working on. I don't yet have um, a definitive group of categories because they're continuing to evolve and change as I do the work. But one of the, one of the ways that you can look at it superficially is things like athletics or academics or activism, these kinds of, what are the groups of, of categories like that, you can say. So um, there are scholars, there's land-based practitioners, there's these, these things, but more importantly than that, the categories, um, I think it's one overarching category, which is the presence of all indigenous peoples on this land in all of our individual nations, showing that we continue to be thriving parts of nations. And really important to me, as I mentioned before, is the categories of urban, rural, remote, and special access, because these categories of, of communities on a map um, give you an indication of what your resources are and what kind of access you have to differences of narratives. So while the work still remains to be done in the analysis, um, 
there is there's a lot more stories of success available to you when you're in a city mm-hmm. than there are when you're in a very remote fly-in community when we look at it initially. But what I want to get to is a deeper understanding of when you actually go into those communities and you look at projects like uh, Dene Heroes of the Satu, which is this incredible project that goes in and, and has four years in a row collected stories of heroes. And the stories that come out in these tiny little communities are stories of success all around. And they're stories of people who look up to their grandparents or their aunties or their community band council or their friend. Like there's there's so much success and there are so many incredible stories that you have to dig deeper. You have to go in and actually look at when you get into those communities, is it just, it's different. It's it's different what we value, but across the board, there are commonalities. So is it fair to see to say that um, the lack of success stories or the fewer story, uh, success stories that we hear from these remote communities is not a sign of lack of success, but a less common vehicle to elicit those success from the people within those communities. So your project is almost like building those vehicles and giving these people a voice so that they can talk about success in their own terms and be able to advocate that success, which has a lot of common denominator with other successes from bigger areas um, with others in the community. Yes, yes, that is exactly it, Gohan. That's precisely, it's not inventing anything, but rather just shining a light to say, look, this is happening. It's not just in big cities where you can see stories like Jody Wilson-Raybould, but it's also in these tiny communities and we just need to give the stage. So so one question I have is your project is massive in, in, in terms of geographical content and you want to reach as many audiences you can within the indigenous community. How do you do that? That sounds like very complicated, requires a lot of logistics, communications. How do you manage to reach out to so many people, um, you know, all across the country um, within a relatively shorter term of your PhD study? Well, that is constantly up for negotiation and renegotiation. So right now, um, I'm definitely having to scale back to fit it into a PhD. Of course, um, I want to take on everything. I want there to be no limit to this because I think it can just grow and be more diverse and more uh, expansive by the year. But I do need to finish the PhD. So one of the ways I'm doing this is by leveraging projects that are already been done. Like I mentioned, the the Dene Heroes of the Satu, that's a four-year-long project that does a very similar thing within that one small community. And so by drawing on all of these other peoples and communities that are doing this, I'm just bringing them all together and and connecting the dots to say, look, here they all are. Um, Here some of them are, not all. Here's, Here's some of them. And that'll give me a way to leverage what's already out there. Another thing that I'm doing is using a survey that can go out to anybody, anywhere. And my hope is that it will get taken up. 
my hope is that people will see this and say, yes, I do like that idea. I do want to tell you a story of somebody that I think is a success, whether it's a person, uh, an event, an organization, who do you think is a success or an inspiration, a role model, a hero? Tell us those stories, submit them online, submit as many as you want. And then we just start populating the map with those. And are those surveys um, only for members from the uh, Indigenous communities or are they um, open and public for all for them to tell the stories or the successes that they see from these communities? So there's two parts. One is it's open to everybody and anybody because you can't necessarily stop that from happening anyways. In social science, that's always the difficulty is, is how do you get your target audience? So I want to hear success stories from anybody who wants to tell them. But within the regard for the, the PhD and the map itself, I want to show what we as Indigenous people are saying the stories that we are putting forward. And so it's built into the survey that you identify yourself either as indigenous to Turtle Island or indigenous to somewhere else or not indigenous. And it's open for you to say what those, what those capacities are for you. And then from that, we can actually separate and say, okay, this is what in general people who are non-Indigenous are identifying. And there's, it's interesting there too to say, okay, what do non-Indigenous people think is a success or an inspiration? And is that different from what Indigenous people say? So there's valuable information to be gathered there. And then the heart of it is, what do we say? Last time we chat, you mentioned about um, you want to do a project, whether it's for this PhD study or previous researches, um, a key value in your projects is giving back to the community. So as I imagine in the process of you gathering these stories, you are engaging a lot of your communities. You're talking to them and you're probably in this iterative process, engaging with them, show them what you've done. So, so tell us a little bit of how that process is like. How is this project started some of the conversations and how you start to give back as you are collecting these um, uh, stories from across the Turtle Island? It is an iterative process. And one of those issues is the pandemic, obviously. We're not able to go and do field research the way that we want to. Ideally, I would be going out to multiple communities and spending time and sitting and saying, let's talk about this. What are the stories that matter? Why? How can those stories be used? How is it beneficial? Rather than coming in and extracting, what is the giving back? And because there's difficulty right now in being able to achieve that, um, I am restricted in what I can what I can do. What I think is important and what I am moving ahead with until, uh, the, until the global situation changes and we're able to engage in more community work, the premise that I'm continuing forward with is that story mapping creates a beautiful, culturally relevant way to share stories, to share data, to disseminate all of this information in a way that is accessible to our youth and our communities. And so story mapping, because it is online, anybody can access it. So our youth, our elders, our communities, our schools, 
all of these places can have access to this as a resource and as a way to engage in that story work. And the reason that I think that this is really important is that we have some of the highest suicide rates in the world. Our Indigenous youth, it's well known at this point, there's a lot of stories on the news, like it's, we see that, we know that. But what we often don't know is that communities that have control over land, that have access and control over health, policing, cultural facilities, women in government, communities that have that have very few or no suicides year after year. And what it is that they have is narratives of agency and capacity and success and inspiration. And they have, they're surrounded with that. And we know there's so much research out there. We know that the ability to see yourself as accepted and valued in society is essential to developing a positive sense of self and cultural identity. So these communities that have that have no suicide or very little suicide. And then these communities that don't have that have huge numbers of suicides or suicide attempts, both. So in creating a map that makes visible those stories of capacity and success and inspiration available to communities that are not necessarily surrounded by it, you're, you're extending that. You're embracing and opening up what those stories can do to bolster your sense of identity and culture capacity. And so I'm, my hope is to give back by showing that, by giving this out to our communities to say, maybe you don't feel like you're surrounded by capacity, but here's a map that allows you to look and see the prevalence of success stories all around you. And how do you envision your story map and other um, resources that you will develop out of this project to be used to build those awareness, like to be integrated in maybe local curriculums? Like how, how do you imagine that will be used and which stakeholders or which groups in the community will be able to take advantage of it? The ideal stakeholder for this, I think, is curriculum. I think that the education system, especially right now in the wake of the TRC and the idea that, that engaging, indigenizing the curriculum is kind of the push right now. And a lot of times teachers are saying, you know, I would love to do that, but I don't know how. I don't know how to incorporate these kinds of perspectives and things. There's, there's a growing response to that. And I think that this is one of those responses to that is if you're asking your students to do a project, it doesn't matter what the project is. If you're sending them out to do some kind of research, having, having a map that shows you indigenous resources is a tool, a very powerful tool. So just for example, if you have say a grade four class and you're saying, okay, everybody, we're doing artists this week. I want everyone to go and find an artist and do a, you know, like a little report on an artist. Previously, indigenous artists were not being conceptualized in that. And so your students would go out and come back with Van Gogh and Emily Carr and Monet, but they didn't come back with Bill Reed. So this is a way to say here, go look at this map and come back with an artist from an indigenous community, come back with 
whatever it is, whatever it's science projects, okay, go find an indigenous scientist. Like it gives you, no matter how you want to look at it, it gives you this rich resource of diversity that helps bring it into the classroom in meaningful ways that is not just about indigenous history, but is about indigenous contemporary ingenuity and innovation and contribution. And such tool will be equally helpful, I would say, for communities and schools that are not indigenous, like for um, kids that are living outside of those communities to understand the presence of the success today, like you said, um, and provide many ways for them to know what are what our success look like today of those indigenous communities so that, and, and it's available online. So it's easy to disseminate those areas uh, to curriculums outside of indigenous communities. Another question that um, I wanna ask is, so to, to build a project and to have a robust system of stories and have it growing, uh, it, it's a humongous project. It sounds like a project that needs a lot of partnerships and collaborations not only from your research and probably from different agencies. So what are the collaborations that you're looking forward to, to grow and to partner up? And what's the next step for your project? The very first step is finishing the PhD. (laughs) (laughs) Then then I get to dream about the next steps. So that'll take a couple of years yet. The next step, my hope is that the next step is exactly that, partnering with different organizations um, who can help build out this map in a meaningful way. So part of that is getting people who know more about GIS than I do, because I know very little and I'm working with what I have, but it's very little. I would love to have more people who are far more experienced in this, collaborating their ideas and bringing those in to say, okay, what if we took it in this direction? Or what if we expanded like this? Because you only know what you know. So having other people who know other things can really make this so much better. And the other thing is partnering with knowledge keepers from communities who can help again to shape this in good ways. Because again, right now it's just me. When we can get back out into communities post COVID, I can start to talk with people about what would be the next steps. How do we see this really meaningfully growing to meet the needs of our communities. One of the things I'm going to be doing when possible is going back to my community, to Muskogon, and working with them to gather our stories and figure out how do we present that to our people in a way that's very local, but very important. What's the story that you have collected uh, in this project that have touched you like the deepest in, in a deeper way you, have, you feel a personal connection to it? My favorite story is the totality of the stories. It's the story of wholeness and abundance that emerges from all of these little tiny dots. It's not one individual one, it's the collective nationhood of us. We've been told for so long that we're not here, that we don't exist, that we don't matter. And when we look at all of these stories together, when you just show that map with all of those dots, that's a story. And that's the story that fills my heart and my soul with a sense of pride, a sense of strength, and a sense of the future. 
Thank you very much, Denali. That's an inspiration. And for our listeners who haven't checked Denali's story map, we will uh, make sure that we include a link to the survey and to the story map in our description. Thank you again. Thank you. You just heard from Denali Youngwolf, a PhD researcher from University of British Columbia. She crowdsources success stories from indigenous communities and use GIS to visually disseminate the research into an interactive story map that amplifies stories of culture capacity. This podcast is brought to you by Esri Canada, a technology company that empowers people and organization by the science of wear. Bye for now. Mm-hmm.